Amen. You may all be seated. Welcome again to worship at First Baptist Bolingbrook. It is good to have you wherever you are joining us from. Those who are here in the building, man, it is, this is good. Man, I miss this. I miss, uh, I assume some of you are smiling under your mask. And it's good to see those, those big smiles for those who are not. We've got some social distancing going on and the sanctuary split up in order to accommodate uh, everyone as best as we can. So I'm hoping that you do feel comfortable and safe worshiping here this morning. And even if you're at home, that is totally acceptable that you're, you're worshiping uh, with us uh, via YouTube, Facebook, and, and so forth. Um, we encourage you to continue to do that as long as you feel comfortable. But, hey, we're here. We're ready to worship our Lord and Savior, man. I got to tell you that I'm a little preoccupied. As, uh, I've had breakfast this morning. I'm already looking forward to lunch. So um, this might be a quick one. My question to you this morning, I mean, as I'm thinking through this, where can somebody get the best pizza in Chicago? I mean, this is like when you, you I understand I'm not from here. Like I have sometimes I have to remind you of that. I'm, I'm from the great state of Missouri in St. Louis. And you guys do pizza very different than what we do in St. Louis. And, and as I have this conversation, it can be somewhat of a religious battle. The way people are so fervent about their pizza. I mean, you can name places like Pizzeria Uno, there's Faisano's, Grinders, Luminati's, Giordano's, go on and on and on. But, I mean, Chicago is known for uh, their deep dish, their deep dish pizza. It's a totally foreign concept when, when I came. I mean, I'm an I'm a emo's guy being from St. Louis to the crust, and I don't care what you say, that is the best pizza. But uh, I can understand the appeal to deep dish. In 1943, Ike Sewell served the first ever deep dish pizza at his location at Ohio and Wabash in Chicago. And in, now for 20 years, the Lou Malnati and his father Rudy worked at that very pizzeria, and they claim to have invented the deep dish. They, they say they actually came up with the thought and idea of this deep dish pizza that Chicago has become known for. So in 1971, Lou broke out and opened his own uh, pizzeria uh, that we officially known as Lou Manati's Pizzeria. And so they left Pizzeria Uno and they claim again to be the ones that actually came up with this deep dish concept. And Ever since then, Lou Manati's and Pizzeria Uno, they've had this rivalry, not only to who originally came up with the idea, but whose is better. Some of you might have thought of Giordano's, they're a latecomer. They only started in 1974, while Deep Dish was already on the scene. But even they, they claim, they claim that they're the ones that came up with the stuffed pizza. But even in there, there's a rivalry because Nancy's Pizza has the same claim that they are the ones that came up with the stuffed pizza. So there's no shortage of these rivalries when it comes to pizza. But also when I, when I moved here, I found out not only is there pizza that Chicago is known for, but uh, Chicago is known for this beef or Italian beef. 
you talk about rivalries. This Chicago beef um, originally came came to be by and, and had this this rivalry of there's there's Mr. Beef and there's Al's beef. This big rivalry, who's the best? Where did it originate? Where did it come from? I'm going to save you the historical. And I've done my research. To do, I've tried each of these pizzas. I've tried all the Italian beef, and I've got my own opinions. I'll save that for, for you. But there's a lot of rivalries when it comes to us being in this world, e- even in the United States. So we've got Al versus B- uh, Mr. Beef, and we've got um, you know, uh, Pizzeria Uno versus Luminati's and so forth. Or, or what about Coke and there's Pepsi, Microsoft and Apple, PlayStation versus Xbox, Star Wars versus Battlestar Galactica, Marvel versus DC, the Bears versus the Packers, anybody? The Cubs versus Cardinals? Go Redbirds. The Bulls versus Pits, Pistons. I mean, we are, we, for everything that there is, it seems like there's a rivalry that we can speak of. But w- when we think about these rivalries, where does it come from? W- what does it lead to? Where does it originate? Now, we can playfully talk about the rivalries that we see, of whether it's your favorite pieces versus mine or the Bears versus the, the Packers and so forth. I remember uh, soon after moving here uh, for, for my job, we, we went, uh, took some clients to uh, a Cubs baseball game. And it had to be uh, Cubs versus Cardinals. And I'm from St. Louis, so I wore my blue Cardinals hat. I didn't realize how serious this rivalry is because as I'm walking around the stadium, we were, we were going, we're leaving the stadium, and this guy, he, he taps me on the shoulder and he thought it was a Cubs hat, and he looked closer and saw there was a Cardinal on it. He's like, what are you doing? <laughs> what do you mean? I seriously didn't know what he was talking about. And he pointed at my hat. He's like, take that hat off. Dead serious. It escalated quickly. This guy wanted to fight me because I dare wear a Cardinals hat at Wrigley Field. I, I think he had a, a few just during that time. But still, it escalated quickly. And this is how seriously these type of rivalries are taken. When you look at a rivalry, sometimes they're born out of what we're going to talk about this morning. This morning we're going to talk about envy jealousy, or to use a churchy word, uh, coveting. What does the Bible say? How, how does that affect us? Again, we can be playful with these type of things, but sometimes there is a deep-seated issue that we're dealing with. Turn with me in your copy of God's Word to Proverbs chapter 14. Our text this morning is going to be one verse. I'm going to read more than one verse, but we're going to anchor it in this one verse in Proverbs 14 and 30. Here God's word reads in Proverbs 14 and 30, a tranquil heart is life to the body, but jealousy is rottenness to the bones. Let's pray to begin this morning. Gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for bringing us here together. Uh, having the importance on our hearts to, to be able to get up this morning to worship you. 
Father, help us to, to make the main things the main things. Help us not to be distracted by what every, everything else that is going on in the world and draw us to you. Draw our attention to your word so that we might know you better. Help us not just to be hearers of the word, but help us to be doers of the word. Show us an importance and help us to be the, the light on the hill for those who need to hear the good news. Help us to be the salt to this world that is losing its flavor. Father, right now, hide me behind the cross so people might see more of you and less of me. May the words of my mouth and meditations on my heart be acceptable in your sight. My Lord, my strength, and my Redeemer, whom I trust. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So here we are uh, talking about areas where this is mostly friendly rivalries. But again, things can turn quickly into envy. In our text this morning, the Christian standard, um, it, it uses the word jealousy, and that can be uh, also defined uh, as the ESV uses, or the King James uses the word envy. The Old Testament, we see the word covet, and that should sound familiar, hopefully, to everybody in the room. Covet is a churchy word uh, that we see divine, defined in Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. And here it says, do not covet your neighbor's house. Do not covet your neighbor's wife, his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. And now, uh, even if you remember back in the New Testament where uh, the lawyers tried to trap Jesus, like, well, well, who's my neighbor? Is the guy who lives next door to me? I can, I can be nice to the guy who lives next door. But that is not your only neighbor. The people that you come into contact with, the people even across the world can be your neighbor. This sin of coveting is to lust after or long for something with a great desire. That is the, the definition of coveting. And this is a little different than the other Ten Commandments, like the prohibition against murder and theft, because coveting, and envy, jealousy, this addresses what's inside and it comes from our heart. It comes from our mind. James chapter 1 and 15 puts it this way. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. This is how serious these sins are to God. This, these are not like our, our white lies or things we try to pass away as insignificant. They are significant to God. It says it gives birth to death. It festers and it grows. It sprouts branches. The reason it's important because it leads to worse sins. It doesn't just stop at your envy. It doesn't just stop at your jealousy. It leads to something else, more egregious. This is what Jesus communicated in Matthew 5 and 28 when he said, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. This, this envy, this, this lusting, this, this coveting, you've already sinned with that thought with that motivation. Envy goes beyond just a lingering glance at your neighbor's car. 
once they begin to take root, it, it turns into feelings of resentment. It, it turns into hatred for your neighbor himself. Why does he get that car? He doesn't, he doesn't even work that much. I'm here breaking my, my, my hands and bones and, and all this going on, doing all this hard work, and here he is with all this stuff. What about me? Then you're the, hey, neighbor, <laughs> good to see you. I hate that guy. Envy is wanting something that someone else has. When you envy someone's clothes, their cars, their house, their bank account, their popularity, it is destructive. The other side of the same coin is jealousy. Jealousy is a deep desire to keep what we have. And we're afraid of somebody who else might want it. Envy has an outward focus and jealousy has an inward focus. It wants to protect our own things. It wants to protect our own relationships. We use it, for example, when jealous of our spouses. We don't want people, hey, don't look at my wife. Hey, that's my wife. Don't say anything about her. She's mine. You can envy someone else for his girlfriend, but someone flirting with your own girlfriend makes you jealous. You get the distinction there? As slight as it might be. And we've all felt jealousy. We've all felt envy. And maybe it's been in the form of spite or um, resist, resi resentment. When our peers succeed over us, somebody gets that promotion that you hope to get. Or we get jealous when people out achieve us, do something that we hope to do. The Bible condemns this type of jealousy. But at the same time, I, I want you to, to be aware that not all jealousy is necessarily bad or not necessarily negative. And, uh, and it's similar to anger in that uh, jealousy is not wrong when it is an exclusive relationship that is being threatened. For example, God is known as a jealous God. Zechariah 8 and 2 said, The Lord of armies says this, I am extremely jealous for Zion. I am jealous for her with great wrath. And in the New Testament, James 4 and 5 says, or do you think it's without reason that the scripture says the spirit he made to dwell in us envies intensely? You see, we belong to God. We are his and nobody else's. Because remember, as we talk about idolatry and what idolatry is, is putting anybody and anything above God. No. It's God and God alone. It's not God plus anything. And God, our God, is a jealous God. wants us all to himself, and rightly so. We are his creation. We are his. Everything we have is a gift from him. Every breath that we take is a gift. Every step that we make is a gift. Everything we have belongs to him. God is jealous for his people and their exclusive devotion to him. God is also jealous for his glory. We, sh we should not and ought not give anything or anybody else the, the glory that God rightly deserves. Even if you were to get that promotion, it's not because you're that good. 
It's because God is that gracious. Because God is that merciful. It's because God is that loving. How easy it is to forget or to misconstrue. But when it comes to non-exclusive relationships or anger over things that belong to somebody else, this jealousy is where we find the danger. And it's not just wrong, but it's destructive and it's deadly. And I've got to admit to you, we're family. I struggle with this myself. I mean, it's tough being a pastor and going into another church and like, man, they don't have any cracks in their ceiling. Man, look how clean their carpet is. They don't have to worry about the leaks in their pipes. Man, look at all the volunteers that they have. They're just chomping at the bit to come and do the work of God. It's much too easy. But at the core of envy is just this self-love. If you're envious, what, what you find is that you're dissatisfied with who you are and what God has given you. That is what envy is, your dissatisfaction in what God is doing for you and what he's already given. When you have a society that's made up of people like, like this, the people who are more concerned or, or their dissatisfaction in God, what, they, what ends up happening is they're more apt to go commit crimes. Well, I, I can't have that, so I got to take it. I got to prevent them from getting it, so I'm going to kill them. I'm going to steal from my job because I deserve this. This continues to weaken society and the societal structures because of this deep seated envy, jealousy, covetousness. And just like when we talked about greed last week, envy also hurts the people around you. You might say, well, so what? So what? I'm envious. I'm trying to get ahead. I, I want to do better. I want to have these things. So what? Proverbs 27, verses 3 through 4 tells us so what. It says, a stone is heavy and a sand a burden, but aggravation from a fool outweighs them both. Fury is cruel and anger is a flood, but who can withstand jealousy? This type of behavior is unbearable, not just for you, but also for those in their sphere. Nobody wants to be around these type of people that, that create drama because of the jealousy that this person brings in. People don't want to be around it. You, you see people disperse or get pulled into the, the gossip and the jealousy that you have. Seven, it puts it further in verses 20 through 23. And in it it says, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of a person's heart, comes evil thoughts, sexual immoralities, thefts, murders, adulteries, greed, evil actions, deceit, self-indulgence, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. And, all, and these evil things come from within, and that is what defiles a person. And God knows. 
God hears. God tells us that godliness with contentment is of great gain. To be content in what he has given us. And we should be content with the basic necessities of life. First Timothy 6 and 6 says exactly this. It says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we take nothing out. If we have food and clothing, we will be content with these things. I know it can be hard. And again, the world just makes it harder and it just impacts us more and more because we're made to feel like we should want and strive for more and more. But when you realize that we live in the richest country in the world, that should be a sobering thought for us. It should drive the way that we live our lives. It should drive the way that we spend our money. It should drive the way that we spend our time when we realize just how blessed that we are. Brothers and sisters, true happiness is not attaining things. True happiness is only gained through a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's the only happiness. That's it. There's no more you need to add to that. There's nothing that needs to be taken away. Only a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Christ and Christ alone is worthy. He is true. He is solid. He is satisfying. He is sustaining. And we got to realize when we say, but I don't have what he's got. We're saying God is not enough. The future reward for us, for Christ followers, for Christians, is our motivation to be content in the Lord. I'm going to close this morning with Colossians chapter 3. Colossians 3, 1 and 2 says, So if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your eyes on things above, not on earthly things. It's when we take our eyes and our take our focus off the things that matter, the only thing that matters, which is on uh, Christ above, is when we find ourselves going down the wrong path. I know we're in a time in a season where we are longing for a lot of things. things. Life is just not what we're accustomed to right now. But even through all this the, the pandemic and everything else that comes with it, still Christ is enough. I believe that, that God has removed a lot of distractions from our lives so that we can refocus on what matters, the things above. 
I pray that we're taking that opportunity to double down and get to know him through his word. This is what brings true happiness. This is what matters at the end of the day. No friend, no family, no politician or anybody is going to help with that happiness. God alone. Christ alone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you and you alone is sufficient for us. Father, forgive us for putting anything before you. Father, forgive us for putting anyone before you. Father, help us to utilize our time, our, our, our money, and our giftings for, for building your kingdom, for going and, and, and following the commandment that you gave us to go and make disciples. Continue to draw us closer. Continue to show us how you have blessed us in so many different ways. Father, we call on you to give us contentment. And we thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Won't you please stand as we close our